So this morning we say a final farewell to um, what seems to now be a, a dear old friend in all these weeks that we have spent in the Gospel of John. Last week we, we did a, a bit of a summary using the seven I am statements that John recorded of Jesus. And this morning we take a final look at John and uh, next week is Feast of Christ the King and then we, we start Advent. So we take this final look in John this morning thinking of his introductory thoughts about what he was trying to say in his gospel and then his final words when he says, I wrote these things that you might believe. And then in between this opening statement and this closing statement are seven signs uh, in John 1 through 12, these seven signs that John says Jesus did that people might believe. And so John's recounting Jesus and putting him forward as the light of the world and how these seven signs show that he is the light of the world and how they reveal both the glory and the power, the, the capacity of God to actually deal with human life. And he writes these things again saying that you would believe, that you would come to trust Jesus, that you'd come to place your confidence in him, that you'd come to see him as such a worthy being that you would actually follow him in your life. But I think we have to ask, as millions of people have, has modern science somehow disproven these signs? And did these signs really only work because they're the products of a superstitious culture that you know, happen to be inclined to accept such reports uncritically? And I, first, I think the first thing to say here, uh, especially for Christians, for people who are followers of Jesus, that we never have to pit science against Christianity, never. Trust me on this, Jesus can withstand the most withering critique anybody could give him. Philosopher, economist, physicist, he can withstand the most withering critique. And if somebody can find a better explanation for the world than Jesus, if somebody can find somebody more stunningly wonderful to follow, well, they ought to follow that person. And they have to follow it with their whole heart and see where it leads them. But just always do so with the sort of intellectual integrity that's giving Jesus a chance. Because you give Jesus a chance and he will just do as he's done for 2,000 years. And that is stand right in the middle of human history as the orienting story for every culture, every tribe, every nation. There's no place in this world where Jesus isn't revealed and revered so let's think about how this works for a minute because on the you know on the one hand you got these ancient stories that maybe just people were you know gaga about jesus and they wrote it down and they believed it on the other hand you know you've got science that maybe disproves these things that you know these things can't actually happen well what if i were to tell you me like most of you in this room know me at least a little bit and i think have come to trust me at least a little bit right so what if i said to you hey on december 29th 1974, I remember it was one of my favorite dates. I took Debbie to see a Beach Boys concert at the Long Beach Arena. Would you believe me if I said that? 
And what if I said that it was one of the first places where I'd ever felt scared in a crowd because when they opened the doors, there was such a press that you know, people were about to get trampled. Can you feel my feelings? Can you, can, you, like, can you try to understand the scare of being pressed against people and the feeling like you can't breathe and you don't know what's gonna happen? Can you like, imagine the fear, the emotion that would go around with that? And then afterwards, there was this sudden rainstorm and I was driving an old Volkswagen Beetle at the time, and the windshield wipers didn't work. I mean, you don't need them very often in Southern California, but this was one of those times where it was a major downpour. And one of the windshield wipers was just kind of, you know, <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex-like, and the other one I don't think was moving at all. And so we had to drive home to Santa Ana on surface streets. If I gave you those details, would you believe me? Would you trust that, uh, that what I'm saying at least largely corresponds to reality? I mean, the windshield wiper might have been going a little farther, a little less, I can't tell you, it's been almost 40 years ago. But would you believe me that I'm basically telling you what happened and that it corresponds to reality? Well, even more so, what if I told you about June 25th, 1977? And Debbie and I getting married, nice. And, and what if I told you we got married at First United Methodist Church in Santa Ana? Would you trust me? And what if I said there were 12 people in the bridal party? Would you trust me that there was 12? Not 15, not six, there was 12. Six really pretty young girls in pale yellow dresses and six really handsome dudes in like pale lime green tuxes. Mint, sorry. See, this is how the Gospels actually work. Mark says green, Matthew says mint. So we'll go with <laughs> mint. It was actually mint. So what do we have here in John? We have the one of whom the New Testament says five times, this is the disciple Jesus loved. We have the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest around the table. We have one who was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what he says in these signs are every bit as reliable as me recounting a date or a wedding. These things aren't like suddenly up for grabs because we understand something a little more now about, you know, nuclear physics or something. Or because, you know, some psychologist has had a breakthrough. Thank God, we should just thank God for any legitimate breakthrough in any form of science or anthropology or sociology, any of those ologies, Christians ought to just thank God for any legitimate breakthrough that helps human beings because they don't in any way set aside these basic fundamental claims. I don't know where I found this quote from Packer, but it, it works here just right now really wonderful. Packer said, so I ask you for a moment to stop your ears to those who tell you that there is no road to knowledge about God and come a little way with me and see these signs. Because what we know from John's gospel itself, like the internal argument of John, is that these signs were working. 
These signs were working so much that at one point the religious leaders plotted to kill Jesus saying that if we allow him to continue to do these signs, if we allow him to go on like this, everyone will believe him and that will be bad for us, bad for our nation and cause all kinds of trouble with the Romans. So these signs were actually working. And so like my stories, John thought he was representing reality. That's what I want you to hear this morning. These aren't stories in the sense of fiction. These are stories in the sense of me telling you about a particularly cool date. These are stories like him, I, like I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's like him telling, uh, that, him telling that is like me telling about my wedding day. And so John wants us to see, as we read in the prologue, that in these signs, Jesus is the light of the world, shining in the darkness, but he came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. That is to say, even as Beth suggested as we started this morning, that they couldn't see the meaning in the signs. C.S. Lewis tells the story of uh, getting his car fixed, and he's driving out of the shop and he, he thinks, oh, I'm not sure my turn signal indicator is working. And so he turns it on and he says to the mechanic, is my turn signal working? And the me- mechanic goes, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. And <laughs> this is the level on which some of these people could see Jesus' signs. In other words, like the mechanic, you could say they knew the basic meaning of an electrical circuit. They knew that when a light was on, a connection was made, and when the light was off, a connection had been broken. But like the mechanic, lots of these people lacked the ability to perceive that in this case, a steadily flashing light means I'm turning, not a bad connection. And so the mechanic failed to understand the meaning, even in the face of the brute facts of on and off. And this is what's happened to Jesus all along. But John wants us to hear these things so that we wouldn't misunderstand what these signs mean, but that we would come to place our faith in Jesus. So all right, here's these seven signs. First, John two, Jesus turns water into wine, maybe saying something like this to the Jews of his day, you've been drinking inferior wine for so long that you can't tell the new wine that's now being given to you right now by God. And this, of course, would go along with Jesus saying to them in other places, take up your cross, put your life to death, and come follow me, meaning stop living the inferior life you've been living, stop drinking the inferior wine, and come follow me. Jesus heals the official son in John chapter four, and here we see a compassionate miracle for a man who had no hope, and how Jesus rebukes the hearers around him, the people who saw this, as only being interested in his miracles and not taking to heart what these signs signify. Now this is exactly where the Lewis thing works. And it works again in John 9 and other places. In John 5, Jesus heals the paralytic at the pool, demonstrating Jesus' power and authority and saying something to us like this, that no matter how broken our life is, no matter how many past attempts we've had to try to fix our life and failed, that Jesus actually can heal. In John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, saying something like this to us, perhaps, that the Father has resources way beyond ours, and that Jesus cares for the people of our world in their ordinary hunger, 
and demonstrates to them loving hospitality. In John 6, Jesus walks on the water. And most people would say that not only for Jesus' lifetime, that may, but maybe for all of human history past his lifetime, that this is like the convincing miracle. When Jesus walked out to that boat on the water to those guys, this, this was the thing that got their attention. And it says something like that Jesus is in control of the elements of this life. And that even in the midst of raging seas, they're suitable for him to walk to us on. So even when the seas around us are raging and we're a little bit panicked, they're still suitable for Jesus. He's actually in control of all the elements, so much so that he walks on those raging seas to get to us. In John 9, Jesus heals the man born blind, showing that God begins his work in our life with the stuff of our life and dramatically changes us. That whatever it is that's going on in us, whatever dysfunction, whatever hopelessness, whatever sense of stuckness, whatever sense of being incomplete or wrong or sinful, that Jesus comes right where we are and he takes the stuff of our present life and that's what he works with, transforming and dramatically changing us as he did the man born blind. And then the last of these signs in, in John 1 through 12, uh, we're shown Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead uh, showing Jesus' power over death and showing that whoever believes in Jesus receives a spiritual kind of life that even physical death can never take away. So you have the prologue that Dennis read to us this morning. And then John says, here are seven signs that show you how Jesus is in fact the light of the world. And then we get to the end of the gospel in John 20 where John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So like had Debbie and I had friends in the back seat, they could have said, yeah, yeah, that's true. Windshield wipers weren't working and I think we drove home down PCH because it was just too crazy to get on the freeway, right? Could have happened in the, in the presence of many of his, Jesus did many other things in the presence of his friends which are not recorded in this book, but these, and, and, and uh, these are the key words, <laughs> but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. A completely different kind of life would be yours because you placed your confident trust in Jesus and began to follow him. Now this week, this past week, um, I had to write a chapter for a book, InterVarsity Press is writing a book uh, in celebration of Dallas Willard's life. And so I wrote a chapter uh, on Dallas uh, the Evangelist, that was my contribution. And at the end of this chapter, I'm really, I'm putting together um, the thoughts from Willard's writings that I sort of playfully suggest, what if Dallas Willard gave a Billy Graham type altar call? So what, what, if, what, if, what if Dallas, working with this data, or if, you, if you've preferred John the Evangelist standing here, um, I want you to hear this. Perhaps this morning, having considered the claims in the story about Jesus, you're ready to make a choice for him and are wondering what, a de what such a decision might mean. 
Well, to know Christ in the modern world is to know him in your world now. And to know him in your world now is to live interactively with him right where you are in your daily activities. This is the spiritual life in Christ. For Jesus is in fact your contemporary and he's right now about the business of moving humanity along towards its destiny in this amazing universe. You don't wanna miss out on your part of that great project. So this morning, I'm gonna ask you to commit via the saving power of Christ's cross and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit to take up the amazing opportunity to strive first for the kingdom of God and to know that everything else in life will be cared for. This morning I'm asking you to seriously consider Jesus for he transcends all social visions, Marxist, Leninist, feminist, maleness. He transcends every social vision and all entanglements of religion. Every doctrinal dispute, every denominational split, Jesus transcends all visions of social improvement and religious nuttiness and you ought to consider him. So this morning I'm asking you to seriously consider Jesus and to make him and his kingdom that which you would venture on. I'm asking you to venture on the kingdom of God and its king for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning I'm asking you to take Jesus' life into yours and by the grace of God to crucify your present inferior life and to pick up Jesus' life instead, and to thereby steadily grow in graceful interaction with the Father and the Son and the Spirit as they gradually take up all of your life into their Trinitarian life. Well, I can hear someone saying in their hearts, but I've tried religion, I've attended church, I've dabbled in the Bible, it didn't work for me. And you might hear John, the apostle, saying to you, I know, and I empathize with you but there's a simple explanation for your frustration. Our walks with Christ do not work because we do not give ourselves over to it in a way that would allow our lives to be taken over by it. So rather than religion or church, as good as they can be, this morning I'm asking you to do something markedly different. I'm asking you to enroll as Jesus' disciple. I'm asking you to make a decision to trust and follow Jesus. And if you do, your sins will be forgiven through Jesus' atoning death on the cross and you will be converted. That is, you will have taken the first step of being ushered by God's grace and power into a completely new life. Realizing God's purpose when he created you, that you would be a never ceasing spiritual being with a unique and eternal calling to count for good in God's great universe. Will you do it? Will you enroll as Jesus' apprentice? Will you trust and follow Jesus?